Amen. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes to the Galatians. There's a, a, Galatia is a region in that part of the world, uh, part of what we know of today is Turkey, the country of Turkey. And uh, Paul is addressing a situation that has arisen in those churches in the region of Galatia after he established these churches and preached the name of Jesus and got these churches going, he left to go to the next place that God put on his heart to, to, uh, to go toward. And then after he was gone, there were Jews that had come in after the fact and imposed upon the church, primarily the Gentile church, the need. They preached that there was a need to keep the law of Moses even though Jesus had come. And so Paul is writing back to these churches to try to let them know that Jesus fulfilled the law and therefore that it was not necessary to keep the law of Moses, keep the Ten Commandments and so forth. And as a result, he told the churches, he wrote to the churches about the finished work of Jesus. Well, if the work of Jesus is finished, then that means there's no more work to do. And that's exactly the point that he's making. He's telling them that it would be foolish to try to keep the law of Moses after Jesus has already fulfilled that law through his sacrifice. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham, here's the reason why Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through, through Jesus Christ, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he says there's two reasons, two main reasons, why Jesus redeemed, uh, redeemed us from the curse of the law. The first was so that we could enter into a born-again experience, have a relationship with God, the same type of relationship with God the Father that Jesus had himself. That's receiving the promise of the Spirit through faith. But then also the second reason, the second purpose, was so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Now skip down with me to the last verse of the chapter. Verse 29, I believe it is. He concludes his uh, topic by saying this, And if you be Christ, that means if you're born again, if Jesus lives in your heart, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So he says the blessing of Abraham is contingent not only on the keeping of the law. That's the way it was under the old covenant. But the blessing of Abraham was accomplished by the work that Jesus did through his substitution, his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection to set us free. Now, you know, most of the times if you ask people, church people, Christians, if you ask them, what are we redeemed from? In most cases, they'll say sin. But I want you to notice that it doesn't say that Christ redeemed us from the curse of sin. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we're not redeemed from sin. We certainly are. But there's more to it. God had more to it in mind for his people. He had blessings in mind for his people when they came into the family of God, when they took hold of the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us with his own blood. So Christ has redeemed us specifically according to the Holy Ghost who inspired Paul to write these things. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, if we want to know what the curse of the law is, there's only one way to find out, and that is to go back to the Old Testament and find out what the curse of the law was. 
So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read these verses down through pretty quickly. And it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all of his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings, say all, all these blessings, it's not a, a buffet where you pick and choose the ones you want. It's an all-inclusive thing. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the, the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against thee one way, and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord. And they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous. Say plenteous. That means more than enough, doesn't it? The Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give rain unto, the land, unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. It doesn't say lending and borrowing is wrong. It says you won't have to. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day, to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Now this is what's considered to be the blessing of the law, or literally the blessing of Abraham. Remember we read in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14 that the reason Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law the two reasons that he mentions, one has to do with relationship, receiving the promise of the Father through faith, and the other has to do with the blessing of Abraham. Now also remember in verse 29 of Galatians 3, where we read, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the promise. All these blessings that will come over you and come upon you, all these good things that the Bible refers to, making us plenteous in goods, being blessed in the city, in the field, in the basket, in the store, in the marketplace, as well as the, the field. All these things are a part of the blessing of Abraham that came as a result, according to, to Paul, who's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. All these things came about as a result of Christ having redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, if you'll notice in the things that it mentions, most of those things are material blessings. I want you to notice there's nothing said about healing. Now, why is there nothing said about healing? Because if the power of God and the blessing of God is guarding you against sickness and disease, then there's nothing to be healed of. So he's saying we can live a life free from sickness and disease because of the substitutionary work of Jesus. But that really doesn't deal with the, the very point that we came back to see. 
Remember again, Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, so far, we don't know what the curse is. We know what the blessing is. We know that our relationship with God through Jesus has made us a candidate to receive the blessing of God or the blessing of Abraham. But in verse 15, it starts talking about the curse. And throughout the rest of the chapter, it tells us about the curse. We won't read the whole thing, but we will read a part of it. Verse 15, it says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shall, be the, shall thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be the basket in thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shall be thou, shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. Verse 21. The Lord shall make the pestilence. This word pestilence is the word plague. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until that he has consumed thee from off the land whither thou go to possess it. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption. That would be like tuberculosis. And with a fever. That would be like scarlet fever or rheumatic fever or any of the eruptive fevers that we know of. And with an inflammation. And with extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew. And they shall pursue thee until thou perish. And thy heaven that was over thy head shall be brass. And the earth that is under thee shall be iron. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And thou shalt be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth. And thy carcass shall be meat unto the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth. And no man shall fray them away. The Lord shall smite thee with the botch of Egypt. Most, people, uh, most Bible scholars believe that that's talking about leprosy. And with the emeralds, and with the scab, and with the itch, meaning all skin diseases and such, whereof thou canst not be healed. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. Here it's talking about mental illness and things that, uh, conditions, physical conditions that are governed by the mind. For example, it would be, include insanity as well as neurological diseases and so forth that are seated in the mind of man. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. And thou shalt grope at noonday as the blind gropeth in darkness. And thou shalt not prosper in thy ways. And thou shalt be oppressed only and spoiled evermore. And no man shall save thee. Now folks, the, the majority of the, the verses that we read deal with or include the sickness and disease. There are 14 specific sicknesses or 14 specific diseases that these verses that we just read over pertain to and, and cover. And so it's saying that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from all of these sicknesses, the 14 that are named, but then there are more in, included. Look with me to verse 61. Deuteronomy 28, verse 61. Also every sickness. Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, let's back up to verse 58. It says, If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, thou, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful, 
and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuous, and sore sicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Verse 61. Also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law, or the book of this law, then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. So, folks, we can clearly see that the, the curse of the law, the curse of disobedience to God's law in the Old Testament, was entirely, not exclusively, but entirely concerned with sickness and disease. Every sickness and every disease, whether it's mentioned in the 14, the list of the 14 specific ones, or something that's not mentioned, all those sicknesses and all those diseases are a part of the curse of the law that Christ has redeemed us from. Every one. So when the Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, among other things, we could say without hesitation or fear of, of contradiction, we could say that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of sickness. We could say that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of disease because that is part of the blessing of Abraham. And remember, the reason that he redeemed us from the curse of the law is so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Well, how do we know that we're in that group that are redeemed from sickness and disease? Well, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? It's dependent on Jesus and his substitutionary work, not our own actions here on the earth. The only action that determines what category we're going to be in, saved or unsaved, is accepting Jesus into our heart. Accepting the work that he's already done. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. I want you to see something here. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 32. It says, And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. He's been sick with this crippling condition, whatever it was, this paralysis for eight years. And Peter said unto him, notice in verse 34, Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all they that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Now I want you to notice what Peter said. Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. It's a little bit difficult with the language because in some cases the, the tense of the language can be one or more than one uh, trans translated in more than one way. Well, this is one of those, uh, those times. And so as I understand it, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've read after some of them. As I understand it, this verse of Scripture could be interpreted or translated two ways. One of two ways. It could be that Jesus is making him whole at that minute. Or that Jesus has made him whole through the sacrificial work, his death, burial, and resurrection. It's one or the other. We don't know exactly which one. Now turn, to me to, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 for a little bit of insight and maybe a little hint as to how we should read and interpret that scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now this is Peter. The story that we just read in Acts chapter 9 was Peter ministering the healing power of God to somebody that was crippled. And as a result, two cities, Lydda and Sharon, turned to the Lord as, as a, a result of that healing that took place in him. So here's Peter writing to the church 
about the substitutionary work of Jesus. In verse 24, it says, Who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness. Notice this phrase, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, Greek scholars tell us that the thing that, that Peter said in Acts chapter 9, about verse 34, somewhere around there, what Peter said to Aeneas in chapter 9 is the same thing that is said in the last phrase of this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Now, the translators that, uh, translated this, talking about 1 Peter 2.24, as something that's already been done, something that was already accomplished. Well, why would they translate it if it has the same potential to be translated in the present tense or the past tense, just as Acts 9.34 was? See, we saw in Acts chapter 9, verse 34, Peter is saying to Aeneas one of two things. Either Jesus is doing something now or Jesus has already done something. Here the same phrase is translated as Jesus already having done something. I remember a story that Brother Hagin told. And this was one of his favorites. Because of the way that the Lord was so gracious to bring healing to somebody that needed it. There was a lady in a church that uh, uh, he was holding a seminar in. That was crippled. In some way or another. She hadn't been crippled all of her life. But she had been crippled for a number of years now. And she was going to, to come to, up in the healing line. And receive her healing. Or, or have Brother Hagen pray for her. To be healed. But apparently there were a lot of people. That were being prayed for that, at that particular night. And so Brother Hagen said. Before I could get to her. The anointing had lifted off of me. Now Brother Hagen's ministry was such. That the Lord appeared to him in about 1950 and told him that he was giving him a specific healing anointing to minister to people but it would only work if he followed certain directions he was instructed by the Lord Jesus to tell them tell the people that I appeared to you tell them that I laid the finger of my right hand in your both of your hands tell them that your hands began to burn like you were holding a coal of fire tell them that if they'll believe that I appeared to you and believe that you're anointed to heal then that healing power will flow out of you and into them and affect a healing and a cure in their bodies from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. So he had to tell people that. Well, the healing anointing was working. The healing anointing was flowing into people. They, he found a receptive audience. But the healing power of God doesn't stay on anybody forever. And so Brother Higgins would say, and I don't know if this is unique to him or if it works this way with other people, that's one of those things that is beyond me to know. But he said when he would get tired, the healing anointing would lift from him. It would be harder for him to yield to the healing anointing when he was tired than when he was fresh. Well, you can well understand that after laying hands on and ministering to 100 people, maybe more, then that would tire you out because something is leaving from you. Something is being taken from your inner man, your spirit, and going out to other people to affect the healing and a cure in their bodies. So he said, and he was, this was not unusual. This is the way that he always operated. He said, I'm never going to tell somebody that the healing anointing is there if it's not. Well, you could understand that. You'd always want to be honest with people about that. And so he went to this lady. He had already talked to her and her daughter beforehand, before the service. So he knew what she was there for. He knew that she wasn't going to be able to come back because she lived in a, a, a faraway town. 
so she wasn't going to be able to come back for every service or something like that. So he went to this lady. She's sitting. They rolled her wheelchair up to the front row of the church. So he just went and sat down next to her. His mic's still on. The service is still ongoing. But he said to her, he told her, he said, ma'am, the healing anointing is lifted off of me. I can't lay hands on you with that same anointing, that same healing power that you saw me ministering to other people tonight. But he said, I can share the word with you. And then he asked her this. He said, ma'am, did you know that you are healed? Now, here she is crippled, having to be carried around in a wheelchair. She said, oh, am I? He says, yes, ma'am, you are. And he took his Bible and turned it to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. And he laid it in her lap. And he said, now I want you to read 1 Peter 2, 24 out loud. She stopped and looked at the Bible and saw that it was the same Schofield reference Bible that she had so she could, she could trust it. And she read, just very simply, who his own body, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So she read it. And she looked back up at Brother Hagin and he said, Ma'am, I need to ask you a question. Is were past tense, present tense, or future tense? And she said, she got kind of a surprised look on her face and she said, Why well, is past tense? And then she said, Well, if we were healed, then I was. And if I was healed, I am healed now. And Brother Hagin said, That's exactly what I want you to believe, ma'am. And so before she could, before her mind could enter in and thoughts bombard her mind that would come against all of us, like the question, if I'm healed, why am I still sitting here in the chair? So he acted quickly and he said, ma'am, let's just lift our hands and thank God because you are healed. And he said, I wish you could have seen that woman's face. She, the sweetest little lady, sweetest expression she, you've ever seen, she just lifted her hands and began to thank God because she was healed. She said, oh, you know how difficult it was for me those many years in the wheelchair. She's still sitting in the wheelchair, but thanking God like she's out. She said, I was such a burden upon my family. It's so good to be healed now and so good to know that I can take care of myself and not be a burden on my family any longer. Well, this went on for several minutes, not a real long time, but maybe three or four minutes. And Brother Hagin stepped back and said, now, my sister, you believe you're well. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And she stood straight up and walked and never had to get back in that chair for the rest of her life. Now, folks, what did the healing work in her body? Her recognizing, her believing that Jesus had already done something. See, so many times people are looking for healing to come. And they fail to recognize the healing has already come. They're looking for God to do something about their condition instead of recognizing and thanking God for something, the something that's already been done. I can't tell you how many times people have come wanting to have hands laid on them for healing and they're always looking for God to do something. Well, here's the problem with that. The only way you can tell if something happens under those conditions is to look to your body to see if there was a change. See, if you're believing for God to do something about your healing, then you're never going to have any basis for faith until you see something done. And the problem is that's not the way that healing or anything else from God comes. 
Brother Hagin used to tell people, and, and working with him for the years I did in the Crusades, I'd see people get so mad at him that they wanted to take his head off. Because he'd come upon someone, perhaps, that was believing that something would be done. He'd try to get them to have faith in the fact that Jesus paid the price and shed his blood on the cross for us to be healed as well as forgiven from sins and such. And he'd tell people, and he'd do this to try to get their attention, and it did. He would tell people, God's done everything he's ever going to do about your healing. Well, most people, when they hear that, they think that means God's not going to do anything. And so they'd tune up or get mad, spit and sputter and do whatever you can imagine. And they'd begin to cry in many times, many cases, and say, you mean he's not going to heal me? And Brother Hagin would say, I didn't say that. I said he's done all he's ever going to do about your healing. And he'd try to get them calmed down enough to realize that something has already been done. And the something that's already been done, and the something I'm referring to is Jesus shedding his blood not only for sins and iniquities, but also he took stripes upon his back that by his stripes we were healed. See, folks, what could be more effective than the precious blood of Jesus being offered as a, as a punishment for the redemption for our physical bodies from sickness and disease? What could be done more than that? Jesus shed his blood. For you and I to be willing to be healed in body. Certainly it had a spiritual application. Certainly it contains healing power or redemptive power from sins and iniquities. But that's not all that Jesus paid the price for. That's not the whole of the punishment that he took upon himself. Now put yourself in his position for a moment. If you were Jesus and you know the awfulness the terrible nature of the punishment that you took upon yourself for the benefit of mankind. And the Bible outlines what it was for. Isaiah 53, 5, which is quoted in part here by Peter, 1 Peter 2, 24. It says that Christ was wounded for our transgressions. That's sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's sin too. What's the difference in those two sins? One is personal sin. The other is original sin. The sin of Adam as well as the sin of the individual. It goes on to say the chastisement of our peace. The word chastisement is the word punishment there. The punishment for our peace. That word peace is the word shalom. It means he paid the price for our material well-being as well as our spiritual well-being, as well as our physical well-being. We just read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 14 verses of the chapter, all those blessings, most of which are identified as material blessings, are a part of the blessing of Abraham that belongs to you and me because we're in Christ. Well, that's what it's telling us in Isaiah 53, 5. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And finally, with his stripes, we are healed. Now, Isaiah says we are healed, not we were healed, because he's looking forward to the Messiah and the work that he'll accomplish. Peter is looking back at the work Jesus did accomplish. So that's the difference, and that's why there is a difference between Isaiah 53, 5 and 1 Peter 2, 24. Isaiah is looking to the future saying when the Messiah comes, he will offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, as a sacrifice for po poverty, and as a sacrifice for physical healing. Peter's looking backwards. Peter's looking back to the work that's already been accomplished. And that's why 1 Peter 2.24 says, with his stripes or by his stripes, we were 
healed. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again with Brother Hagin. Now, part of the fact, or part of the reasons, I'm sure, had to do with the reputation that Brother Hagin had built up over the number of years, the many years that he was in the ministry, the many years that he ministered the healing power of God through the anointing that I told you about when Jesus appeared to him and put the finger of his right hand in the palms of both of his hands. And so I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. You know, when people hear of somebody that has a measure of success in the area of healing, they believe for more from them than somebody they don't know and somebody that doesn't have a reputation for, for healing the sick. And so I'm sure that had a lot to do with it in the cases that I witnessed at least. But anytime he could get somebody from looking to God for God to do something about their physical well-being to looking for God and the declaration of his word for what has been done through the sacrifice of Jesus, I never saw one of those people fail to receive. Never once. When you can get people looking to the right place, which is for us looking back at the cross, whenever you can get people looking at the right place and put their faith in what has been done rather than what they want to be done, I never saw one of those people fail to receive. Now, I'm not talking about that. That's what people believe when Brother Hagin laid hands on him with the, the tangible healing anointing that God had given him. I'm talking about when he laid hands on people in faith just like any and every believer can do. I never saw one of those fail to receive. Now, I saw a lot of people that wouldn't look backwards. In fact, the majority of the people I saw Brother Hagin try to minister in this manner to refused to accept that the work had been done because they had some other idea. And oftentimes they'd say, well, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe someday God's going to heal me when it's his will and it's his perfect timing. And Brother Hagin would always tell him, well, he won't. See, the perfect time for God concerning healing and redemption in every area was when he sent his son Jesus to the earth. There is no better time than that. There is no fullness of time for anybody to receive from God in any way whatsoever that's greater than the work that Jesus has already done. Now, folks, we understand that when it comes to forgiveness of sins. If somebody was, came, up to, uh, came up to us after the service and said, you've been talking about being born again or being a child of God and I want to receive that. What would we do? Would we pray that God would save them? Or would we say to them and help them understand that Jesus paid the price for each and every one of us? The price has already been paid. Since it's already been paid, since Jesus went to the cross, since he died on the cross, and since he was raised again from the dead, we have the opportunity, and everybody has the opportunity, to accept what he did for them and in their stead. That's the way we administer, healing, or administer redemption to them, isn't it? We administer the new birth to them by looking back at what Jesus did and claiming that for themselves and thanking God for the work that was done. Well, folks, Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease just like he paid the price for sin. So the same way that we look at the work of Jesus that brings us into a relationship with God, a substitutionary sacrifice for us and for our sins, that's the way we have to look at the healing power of God too. It's the same thing because it's the same blood. The same blood brings the results. Spiritual renewal and physical healing for our bodies. Jesus accomplished the work on both ends, in both areas, along with, as we mentioned, 
the chastisement of our peace, our material well-being as a part of the blessing of Abraham. So it comes down to this one thing. Where are you looking? When it comes to dealing with the sick and ministering healing to the sick, we have to ask them outside of a special revelation from God or outside of a special anointing from God. Now, Peter, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about Acts chapter 9, verse 34, I guess it is. But where Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, he's literally saying, Aeneas, by Jesus' stripes you were healed. Now, I don't doubt whatsoever that there's the gift of faith in operation because of the, the circumstances of the story as it's related to us. I don't have any question whatsoever that Peter operated in the gift of faith to a great degree in his ministry, and that's one of the examples of what happened. If you go back and you look in the book of Acts, and particularly the, the ministry of Peter, you'll find that most of the things he did had to do with the sick. You remember in Acts chapter 3, when he and John went to the beautiful gate of the temple, that man was crippled, and they healed him. And that he ascribed the work when he was called before the Jews in chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. He said it was faith in the name of Jesus, yea, even the faith which is by him, which has made this man strong in the sight of all that, that were there. He attributes it to some faith that was given him by Jesus himself. When it goes on and tells about the, the great healings in the street, where the power of God is demonstrated to such a degree that they came and laid the sick on cots and beds in the streets, hoping that the mere shadow of Peter passing by would overshadow them and bring their healing. Well, notice it mentions the people that were crippled in that condition too, or in that instance too. So we've got more information about Peter ministering to those that were crippled than anything else, which is an indication that he had a gift of, of healing in that area. But particularly where we see in Acts chapter 9, where he ministers to Aeneas, that's got to be the gift of faith. It's not Aeneas's faith that brings him healing. Aeneas's faith didn't bring Aeneas healing. Peter's did. Peter's faith brought it about. Thank God for the Holy Ghost and the manifestations thereof. But when you get to talking to people trying to minister healing to them, you've got to get them looking back to what Jesus already did. See, folks, the Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. If he's seated at the right hand of the Father, that means the work's finished. Otherwise, he couldn't sit down. The whole reason that he sat down at the right hand of the God the Father is because the work was accomplished. Well, then, if that's the case, and thank God it is, then the only work left for us is a work of faith. Believing in our heart that Jesus died for our sins. Believing in our heart that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Believing in our hearts that by his stripes we were healed. Believing that those things belong to us. And because of the work that's already been accomplished, we can, just like the lady that he sat down next to, we can lift our hands and thank God for the finished work of Jesus. Because that finished work of Jesus includes sickness, redemption from sickness and disease, freedom and deliverance from all the things that would ail us, from every sickness and every disease, not even the ones that, are, that go even beyond the ones that are mentioned in Deuteronomy 28. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was made a curse for us. He bore upon his back the penalty for sin, poverty, and sickness. And what he bore you need not bear. Amen.
Let's lift our hands and thank God for our healing. Father, we thank you that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. We magnify you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you accomplished. Thank you that it's a finished work, Father. And because it's a finished work, we as your children, men and women in the body of Christ, we can reach out by faith and take hold of what belongs to us. We declare that healing belongs to us as a part of the blessing of Abraham. We believe that by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. We believe that Jesus took upon himself our sickness and our diseases. And with his stripes, we declare that we are healed now. Father, it's so good to be healed. You know how we suffered with those things that have attacked us. But Lord, you're greater than anything and everything that we've ever seen. You're greater than any work of the devil that would ever come against us. So we thank you, Father, that we are healed. If we were healed when Jesus took upon himself stripes and shed his blood, then we are healed now, according to the word of God. We love you, Father, and we thank you that we are healed now. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody that agrees with that, say amen. Amen. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Thank God we're redeemed. The curse of the law is a thing of the past. It may affect certain people and some people around us, but not us. We know who we are in Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being with us.